energizes you? What settings do you love being in? What brings life to you? Here's a few pictures, pairs of pictures, and I wonder what your preference is. So first one, there's a Gantt chart, lots of um, project planning, or there's a blank piece of paper. What, what excites you? Next one, do you love a room full of people or on your own, getting the job done? Which energizes you? Now, some of you here will have answered A, A, some of you A, B, some B, A, some B, B, and some will be thinking, I haven't a clue. But sort of in the middle, and that, that's absolutely all right. Another example, would you grab a pen, either real or virtual? I'm holding a virtual pen. Real or virtual pen? If you've got a real one, grab a piece of paper as well. Just write your name. Okay, most of you did that. Now put your pen into your other hand. And do the same thing. Is there anyone here who is ambidextrous? In other words, you could write with both hands. You are amazing. I've no idea how you do that. And someone put two hands up. That is very smart. <laughs> what you probably found was that it was relatively easy, probably very easy, in your natural hand, the first one that you went to. But it was probably much, much harder, required a lot more effort, and was probably much messier in your other hand probably much messier. Now, left versus right-handedness is not an issue of right or wrong, just different. Just different. But we find that we lean into a certain preference. And as we discover our preferences in life, how we've been made, our shape, what we'll find is, is that we'll do better. We'll be more fruitful. Life is less messy. So, that's what we're going to continue thinking about this morning. Over these past few weeks, we've been thinking about the way that we are all uniquely shaped by God and that we are shaped for more. God always has more for us. His life is expansive. It is creative. There is always more for us. And so if you are here this morning and you say, well, I haven't yet come into relationship with God. I'm delighted that you're here. And I hope that as I share some stuff this morning, you hear something of the life that God invites you to take hold of, and he invites you to live out for yourself. So SHAPE is an acronym that we've been working through. Um, it stands for spiritual gifts, our heart or passion, our abilities, our personality, and our experience through life. And this week we come to the P. Uh, we're going to think about personality. Now when we talk about personality in the context of SHAPE, we are not talking about celebrities. We're not talking about sports personalities or actors or you know, pop stars or anything like that. We're not talking personality in that sense. When we talk about personality, we're thinking about the way that we prefer to do things, the ways that energize us, the ways that we tend to lean in life. And so what I'm going to do this morning, we're going to do things a little differently. We're actually going to look at two characters from the Bible and so we're going to jump around a number of different texts and just look at these two people because they had very different personalities. We're going to look at Nehemiah in the Old Testament and we're going to look at Peter 
in the New Testament. Just briefly, don't worry, I'm not going to preach double length. You might want me to. We weren't going to take a vote. So we're going to look at a few Bible stories, just jump around and just put a picture of these people. But I hope that as we do so, or what I'm praying for, and I'll pray for in just a moment, is that the Lord will be continuing to illuminate his light upon our own lives, that we would see more about the way that he has made us. Let me just pray for us. Lord, thank you for today. Lord, thank you that you have wonderfully made every one of us all unique. And Lord, I want to ask that as we look at these Bible stories, as we share this time together, Lord, that you by your Spirit would be speaking to us. Lord, showing us how you have wonderfully made us. And Lord, giving us the courage to press forward from where we are now into the life that you have for us. And Lord, as I speak this morning, give me clarity, give me courage, speak through me to every one of us here today, in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to start with Nehemiah from the Old Testament. The background, and if you are here a couple of weeks ago, we dug into this story a little bit. Um, he is in exile, he's got Jewish background, he's in exile, he's actually out in, in Persia, modern-day Iran. And he hears news from Jerusalem. And he hears this news that the people and the city that is dear to his heart are in trouble and disgrace. And we're going to start in Nehemiah chapter 1 and verse 4 because what we see is this incredible passion grips his heart. So verse 4 reads this, he says, When I heard these things, all of this brokenness in the world that he loved, he said, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. He then prays this incredible prayer. There's then a gap of about four months between chapter 1 and chapter 2. And at the beginning of chapter 2, he finds himself at work. He, he's cupbearer to the king. He, he's the drinks monitor. And he can no longer hide the, 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 kind of the troubled state of his heart. And it sort of now shows on his face. And the king asks him, what's wrong? And so Nehemiah shares from his heart. And so this is from verse 4 of chapter 2. The king said to me, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried, so that I can rebuild it. Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, how long will your journey take, and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Trans Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my request. Now, it is possible that Nehemiah was just someone who was very, very good at thinking on his feet. And so he just blagged his way through this conversation. He busts it. Personally, I think it is far more likely that he had thought things and so in these four months, I believe that he had got our MS project, if that exists. And he had drawn up his project plan. 
and he had put his uh, Gantt chart together. And so he knew the materials to the He knew that he was going to need an armed guard in order to safely get back to Jerusalem. And he knew the time that this project was going to take. And so then what we find in Nehemiah chapter 3 is that he goes to Jerusalem, he makes this survey of this broken down city, and he, he, he gets his plan down. And then in chapter 3, you see the outworking of his plan. Listen, if you love planning, Nehemiah chapter 3 would bring warmth to your heart. Because you see the way that he organizes people to build the part of the wall outside their house, the bit they cared about the most. And you see the way that he meticulously organizes these people to rebuild the wall. In Nehemiah chapter 4, they start to get some opposition. There are people that are upset with what they're doing. So this is what Nehemiah does. This is Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 19 and 20. Well, just before that, what they did is they made the decision to arm the builders. So they would have a, a spade in one hand and a spear in the other. And then verse 19 says, Then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, The work is extensive and spread out, and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. In other words, he sets a burglar alarm in place. He puts a system in place. Chapter 5. What happens is, is that some of the poor in the city were being overlooked. They were having to sell their property and their land. Um, in order to raise money, they were having to mortgage themselves. They were having to do that in order to buy food. And the people that were lending to them were charging them you know, too high interest. And so what Nehemiah does, he pulls all the nobles and the leaders together and essentially, effectively says to them, stop it. Just stop it. And they turn around and say to him, fair feet. Good call. You've got it. And they stop it. Are you getting the picture? Are you getting the picture of this guy? Nehemiah is an incredible leader, but he's a planner. He's organized. He has strategies. If he was going on holiday, he would never have been late for his flight. Why? Because he would have planned his journey. He would have put buffer time in, just in case something got wrong. In fact, he would have done a dummy trial run for the airport. That's what he would have done. On holiday, he would have a plan for each day. In fact, he would have planned that before he even went on holiday. He would have known what he was doing. See, people like Nehemiah love it when there's a plan, where there is structure. Now, some of you, as I said, are hearing the story of Nehemiah, and it brings a warmth to your heart. I love it. And others of you, the blood has just drained through your face. And you may think, well, planning's a bit boring. Let me just say this morning, if you think that, then I'd like to suggest that you think God is boring. Because God is a planner. You spotted that through the Bible? God is a planner. seems to me that the creation account in Genesis 1 and 2 is an account that, that, that indicates to us that this cosmos was not an accident. It was intricately planned. Not a series of random events. And throughout the Bible, one of the things that we see is God's plans being worked out to save and to restore and to heal a broken world. And we see his plans for nations, we see his plans for individuals, and we see the plans that he has for people like you and me. So here's a couple of verses that you might 
to come across before. Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you. That rather to me sounds like God is a planner. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. That sounds like a plan. Sounds like a plan. See, I believe that part of the joy of knowing God, of coming into relationship with Him, is discovering the plans that He has for our lives, for our communities, and for the world in which we live in. And so our world needs people like Nehemiah. Our church needs people like Nehemiah. Why? Because people like that unlock and unleash kingdom activity. If you were around last Sunday, um, Rob was speaking, and one of the things he spoke about was administration. Administration. An administrator is an amazing skill, an incredible gift, because of the way those skills unlock and unleash activity of the kingdom. Now, I have the privilege of working with some great administrators on the staff team, and for the sake of embarrassing Ali, I'm working with one of the best administrators I've ever worked with. Huge skill and talent to be said. I'm incredibly honored to do that with him. There are also some amazing administrator volunteers around our church. And I just want to mention two this morning, again at the risk of embarrassing them. The first is the very wonderful Pat Ray. You should hear the gulp. <laughs> Pat, how many years have you been coming in here every Thursday? 2010. For seven or eight years. Pat comes in every Thursday morning for three, four, five hours and does a huge amount of administration for children's ministry here in our church. So a lot of what happens, and if you're a parent, it, it looks, there's a lot going on, yeah? Pat does a huge amount of that. And we are incredibly grateful for that. And the second person is Ros Kent. Ros is here somewhere. In the foyer. Which is kind of ironic because Ros comes in for a day a week every Tuesday and helps to do the administration behind our welcome and our newcomers ministry. And God bless her, she's out there working right now. And so when you see her, thank her. Because people like that bring incredible gifting into our church. And so one of the things that Rob mentioned last week was that if you have administrative skill and gifts, we would love to hear from you. And one specific area is we would love some more of that support around small groups. And so it may be that you have half a day a week, half a day a fortnight, something like that, and you have skills in this area, we would love to hear from you. We would love to hear from you. So Nehemiah, great leader, a planner, He's a strategist. Almost at the other end of the personality spectrum is Peter. Peter was a fisherman when he met Jesus. And this is an account of when he met Jesus. Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 to 20. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. 
Now, we don't have the full context of the story, but it doesn't seem to me obvious that Peter did a lot of planning for the trip. It does not look like he checked his annual leave. It doesn't look like he checked his fisherman's duty roster for the next week. At once, he dropped his nets and followed Jesus. On there's another occasion. Jesus takes Peter, James, and John to the top of a mountain. We find it in Matthew chapter 17. So this is from verse 2. There, Jesus was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then, there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be up here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters or tents. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. So we find ourselves in this moment when Jesus' glory is more fully revealed to these three disciples. And alongside Jesus, Moses appears, and Moses had died about 1,400 years before. And then there's Elijah, who had died a little over 850 years before. And Peter probably not from a great place of planning, shares this idea of pitching some tents. In this moment of incredible glory, let's pitch some tents. And it may be that he was thinking back to the Old Testament, where the people would put up a tent of meeting, the place where God would come and meet with his people. Or maybe he was thinking of the Feast of Tabernacles, which was an annual festival in the life of the people. They would get together once a year for a whole week and they would pitch their tents and they would celebrate together. Or maybe, just maybe, his idea was out there somewhere. Somewhere out there. One of the most famous stories about Peter is in Matthew chapter 14. If you're following on, feel free to turn to Matthew chapter 14. What, what the context is, is that Jesus has sent the disciples out in their boat to get to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And I'll pick up the story in verse 25 of Matthew chapter 14. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. That's pretty gutsy. That's spontaneous. That is unplanned. And the beautiful thing is that Peter did it. He did it. He walked on water. Now, if you're following along in your Bible, I don't know what this section of text is entitled in your Bible. In mine, it is entitled Jesus Walks on the Water. If I were doing the editing of this, that's not the title I would give to it. Because for me, when I read this, I am not surprised that Jesus can walk on water. Are you? If you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and created the whole of the cosmos, I am not surprised that he can walk on water. What I'm surprised by is the way that Peter can walk on water. So I would call this Peter walks on water, because that's the surprising story. 
Verse 30, let's read on. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began, beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. So what seems to happen is that Peter takes his eyes off of Jesus, and he sees the wind and no doubt the choppy waves, and he seems to forget that Jesus had told him that he could do it. Because that's where the story starts. Jesus says to Peter, you can do this. And he starts to not believe that. He starts to doubt himself. And he starts to sink. But before we focus too much on that part of the story, please, in my view, this is overshadowed by verse 21. Because Peter got out of the boat. In fact, that's the heart of the story. Peter did it. Peter did it. He got out of the boat and walked on the water. Now, I love verse 31, because when in life we realize that we're drowning, Jesus reaches out to us and saves us. So wherever you find yourself this morning, take incredible heart from that. And maybe you picture that in your own mind. Maybe you see the waves and the the water fills up to here. Jesus reaches out. Now, let me throw you a little question this morning. What do you think happens between verses 31 and 32? Peter has walked, he's got out of the boat, and he's walked away from the boat, and then he starts to go under. And Jesus reaches out and pulls him back to the surface. Now they must be at least a few meters away from the boat, is my guess, at least a few meters away. So how did they get back into the boat? See, maybe the disciples paddled the boat towards Jesus and Peter. That's not mentioned in the text. Maybe Jesus carried Peter back to the boat. Piggyback. That's not mentioned in the text either. Maybe Jesus and Peter walked back to the boat on the surface of the water, hand in hand. That's not mentioned in the text either. What do you think happened? How did they get back to the boat? Personally, I love the idea that hand in hand, they took another water walk. So, Nehemiah and Peter, very different personalities. Very different. Would Nehemiah have jumped out of the boat? We'll never know. But Peter did. And would Peter have been able to plan and strategize for the rebuilding of Jerusalem? We'll never know. But what we know is that Nehemiah did. So what's your personality like? How are you wired? What energizes you? Many of you here are part of one of the Shake for More small groups that have been running across these series. Um, This week, there are uh, some video content and some resources to help you explore this for yourself. How are you wired? What energizes you? Let let me just share a little bit of my own journey on this. Um, I I prefer structured settings. I like having a plan. That's probably not a big surprise to any of you that know me. 
So on holiday, in order to relax, I need to know what we're doing. I, I, just, I just need to know. And I remember going on holiday once with a family that are on the other end of that spectrum, who are just spontaneous. I mean, they would get up and it would be lunchtime when they would get up. There were a few bumps. There's a difference. In terms of task-focused versus people-focused, I, I, as I look back on my own life, 20 years ago, I would say I was a pretty task-focused person. And so when we were first part of this church, the, the Sunday team that I joined was the tenth team. So let me take you back about four technologies. At the end of each Sunday service, the, uh, the preaching was recorded onto a cassette tape. Remember those things that used to just mess up that thing in your car? Those little cassette tapes. And we would make copies of that so that the uh, children, young vineyard team, could come down and get a copy of the tape because there were no websites didn't exist. So you couldn't go to the website to download the talk. You could pick up a cassette tape. And if you wanted to listen to the talk again, you could come and buy a cassette tape. Anyway, that team, we were hidden at the back of the school hall, right out the way, just with our little cassette tape thing. That was the first team that I joined. The second team, I moved on from tapes, and I joined the food storehouse team. And that was located in a corridor out the back of Whitton School. Again, there were no other people around. You could just get on and, and pack the bags. And for a task-focused person, that was a beautiful thing. About 15 years ago, I made the decision to stretch myself. And what I did is I joined the welcome team, the people that stand at the door and greet everyone that comes in. And looking back, for me, that was a nudge from the Lord. Because today, I spend most of my time on Sundays talking to people. That's what I spend most of my time doing. Welcoming people who are new to our church, saying hello to those who have been here a thousand times before. So I'm pretty sure that I've changed and that I am changing. I still love to get a job done, but my love for people has grown. So as I look back, here are just some things that have helped me and that I hope will help you as well. And then we'll just have an opportunity to pray before we end. The first thing is that discovering our shape is life-giving and liberating. You and I are fearfully and wonderfully made. We're made on purpose. We're made with a purpose. And one of the examples we've been using through the Shape for More series is that of, the, of this kid's toy. Probably had one when you were growing up. And it's very simple, really. It's as we discover more of our shape that we find that life works so much better. As when we understand more about how God has shaped us, we don't try and bite into the hole that we're not designed for. Life works. And so my encouragement to each one of us is don't fight against the way that God has made you. And don't try to be somebody else. Discover the unique person that God has created you to be. And embrace that. Thank God for that. Second thing is ask God for more. Back to the verse we read from Jeremiah 29. What the Lord says is He says, I know the plans I have for you. I know the plans I have for you. Now, you are really welcome at this point to switch off if you think you've figured out everything that Jesus has for you. If that's what, if you just switch off now. But 
if you haven't, and I haven't, because I know that there's more. I know that there's more. So we don't come to the bottom of understanding what God has for us. And I simply want to encourage you and I to be the kind of people who are asking God to reveal more. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Ask Him to reveal more of what they are. Now let me point just very briefly to next Sunday morning. Part of our time next Sunday morning, there's a growing uh, team of prophetic people that are going to be meeting ahead of next Sunday morning and are going to be available for, for any of us to go and ask them to, to pray for us and to see if there's anything the Lord wants to speak to us. And so that can be a part of our asking for more, hearing the Lord prophetically speak to us. Third thing, step out of our comfort zone. Step out of our comfort zone. That's been my experience through life. That's when we grow the most. You'll have seen me share this kind of diagram before. There we go. Comfort zone in the middle, then a stretch zone, and then a stress or a panic zone. Comfort zones are great, but we don't grow in those places. We grow when we're stretched. And then in the panic or stress zone, we just panic or get stressed. That's not a good thing. So it's finding that place in the middle. And one of the things that I found is that we grow when we lean into things that energize us. So the, the kind of the strength, the things that we love, we can grow when we lean into those things. But we also can grow, and in fact we can grow a lot, when we experience things that are not our preferred way of doing things. So for example, the stretch that I experienced going on to the welcome team, that was outside of way, maybe the way I'd naturally love to do things, but it was a stretch. And we can grow when we lean that way. And the fourth thing I want to share before I close is this, is that we need each other. Have you, noticed, have you found that? Have you found that you cannot do everything in life? If you haven't, I would suggest that's a really smart thing to discover and to do it quickly. Really quickly. We can't do it all. And so our world needs Nehemiahs and Peters. Our church needs Nehemiahs and Peters. You see, we do best when Nehemiahs do what Nehemiahs do best and when Peters do what Peters do best. Does that make sense? It's not too much of a tongue twist. We do best when, we, when we're finding our shape, when we're flourishing in that way. And we're at our best... We're at our best when Nehemiahs love Peters and Peters love Nehemiahs. That's when we're at our best. When we acknowledge that there are people that are very different to ourselves... But together, we are better than when we're apart. And so we are better when we acknowledge and we grow in our love for people who are very different to ourselves. You know, it is so easy, isn't it, to get frustrated with people that are wide different to yourself? If you, if you love planning and structure, you might be tearing your hair out when people come up with a spontaneous plan. You might just do your head in. And equally, if you're a very spontaneous person, if someone says, well, let's just down sit down and think about that, you're thinking, why? Why would we do that? Can I just encourage us to look past those frustrations, to get beyond that? Because there is so much richness 
when we do what the Bible says and we live as a body, when we live as a family, coming together, Nehemiahs and Peters and everything in between, and we do well when we acknowledge and we love who God has shaped us to be personally and when we love the people that are around us. Wonderful. Shall we stand together if you're able? Let me just pray for us and then we'll have an opportunity to pray uh, with and for one another. Lord, thank you that you have uniquely and wonderfully made each one. Free us today. Free us today. I, I, I pray that when you hear those verses from Psalm 139 that says you are fearfully and wonderfully made, there is something in your heart that says yes, that would rise up with just a, a joyful celebration. Yes, I've been made by God.